0: If you're able to remain standing just for a bit longer, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20, look at verse 16, it's on page 61, if you'd like to use a Bible from the church. Thank you guys for leading us this morning, we're always grateful for the work that you do. Of course, uh, just an observation, I noticed everyone took turns singing except for Katie and Thomas, and so their turn is next, so they're going to have to decide between them when we come back. which. Which one of those are going to sing the last song for us? So um, I'm just grateful for the skills that they use to help us to sing praises to the Lord. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. This is God's word for us this morning. And after I read just this one verse, then you may be seated. And then I'll pray and we'll look more closely at this. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Father, every word of yours is true. In fact, Father, your word is incapable of error. And and so it's, it's a treasure to have a true word from you. And so our prayer, Father, is that by the very spirit of truth, you would illumine our hearts and minds this morning, that as we consider this one verse, that you would give us understanding, that you would give us a love for what this verse points to, that we would in fact be truthful people. For we ask this in jesus name amen well we are looking at the ten words the ten commandments a commandment at a time these are not words of instructions as to how people like you and i might merit or earn a relationship with our holy god It's not that way today it wasn't like that in its original context this word these words were given to a people who had been redeemed by the lord they are not the means by which we earn our salvation they are the means by which we now live in and walk in and demonstrate that we belong to a god who kindly graciously single-handedly rescues his people as now as we turn to this ninth word we're almost done with these 10 words I want to follow the same format we've followed with every one of these words I want to spend some moments together trying to understand this ninth word and then let's try to spend some moments together considering how we might practice this ninth word there are Five words that comprise the ninth commandment. That's a little bit of a wordy shift from the three previous uh, commandments. The the pre uh, the three previous commandments were just two words apiece. The word no, and then whatever the matter it, it, at hand was. So no murder, no adultery, uh, no stealing. Now, if we followed the same pattern here, this ninth word would just say no lying. But that's not the way it's worded. Uh, That's not how it's presented. In fact, it's presented in a very specific way. Oh, by the way, I do think the Scripture teaches us that notion of no lying. Leviticus 19.11 specifically says it that way. You you shall not lie to your neighbor. Uh, But it's interesting how This ninth word is framed. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's a very specific application of this matter of lying. In fact, that's what we want to do under understanding the ninth word. We want to look at this specific prohibition as it's stated here in the ninth commandment. But then, as we have done with each of these, we want to look beyond that. And, um, uh, and understand the, the broader concerns. The, the context of the Ninth Commandment is that of legal testimony. Uh, the, 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 the vibe, if you would, of the Ninth Commandment is um, court of law stuff. The specific, particular concern of the Ninth Commandment was the integrity of the justice system, if you would. Now, I think I've realized something over the, these past several commandments as we've been working our way through them. Uh, and, and it's finally dawned on me when we get to this ninth commandment, this ninth word uh, about uh, the prohibition against bearing false witness against our neighbor here's what I think I've realized as to how these commands, particularly number six, number seven, number eight, and now number nine, are framed for us they they I realize that that they they there's a specific uh, explicit prohibition of each of these commands and it's framed if you would, in the worst way in the the worst expression of violating the the, the, the focus of that command. So, for instance, the, the, the worst violation of the Sixth Commandment is murder, but that's not the only violation of the Sixth Commandment. The, the worst violation of the Seventh Commandment uh, is adultery, but that's not the only violation of the Seventh Commandment. The, the worst violation of the eighth commandment is stealing but that's not the only violation of the eighth commandment and so now we come to this one and what what is played out for us is that the worst violation of the ninth commandment is bearing false testimony in a court of law in a legal proceeding when when if you would someone's life is at stake because of the consequence of false testimony that's not the only way we could violate the ninth commandment but it's placed as as it seems like each of the others are in its worst expression it's its most tragic expression if you would so on the one hand in a very particular and narrow way Um, the, The ninth command pertains to courtroom testimony against a neighbor. It must not be false. In fact, in the Old Covenant, if you gave false testimony in a case or a legal proceeding... Um, and that was discovered, then you would, in fact, the one who bear the false witness, would have to experience the, the, whatever the punishment or the consequence was uh, of, of the person at hand. So if you lied in a capital murder case, you see how that plays out. And yet I would suggest that it's the intent of the ninth word to, to not merely prohibit uh, lying in a courtroom, in other words, we're not saying I don't lie in court, but because hey, you can lie anywhere else you want to. Yeah, that that that's obviously what's not going going on on here, um, uh, but, but we're seeing it in its most acute uh, concern. The other thing I would point out, just by way of, a, of trying to understand the ninth word. And this really pertains as well to the immediate preceding commandments as well. What is being prohibited implies that something is being required. And and really one of the burden of concerns behind the prohibition of the ninth commandment as it prohibits false testimony is that we see um, something of what the Lord cares about concerning people. The Lord doesn't want us to bear false testimony because the Lord is concerned about the honor and reputation of other people. And he wants us to be concerned about the honor and reputation of other people. We could back that up. Why, is, why are there laws here against murder? Why? Because the Lord cares about the life of each person that he has made in his image and and he thinks we should care too why is the why is there a command here against adultery why because the lord thinks that marriage is precious and needs to be uh guarded and respected and he thinks we should think that way too why is there a prohibition against stealing? Why, is the law, why, is the, why does the Lord come up with a law against that? Because our Lord thinks that private property is a precious thing, and He thinks we should think that way too. Why is the Lord against false testimony? Because He is concerned about the honor and reputation of other people, and He believes we should be concerned about that too. I point that out because um, there's a lot of buzz and a lot of talk and a lot of supposed interest in justice in our society today. And if we want to consider what our Lord considers in terms of a just society, if you would, to use the word social justice, then the starting point is these second half of the Ten Commandments. This is how the Lord desires a culture, a society to, 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 to operate, to function, to, even if you would flourish under His good, wise instructions. So if you're concerned about social justice, then you're concerned about murder. If you're concerned about social justice, then you're concerned about adultery. If you're concerned about social justice, then you're concerned about theft, the taking of private property. If you're concerned about social justice, then you're concerned about honesty and upholding the honor and reputation of other people. If you have no interest in those things because they they don't fit your advancement of your agenda, then you don't give a hoot about justice in society. You're just making it up as you go along. Within the broader sense though, if it's more than just simply not bearing false witness in a courtroom, the ninth commandment does concern itself more broadly with simply the matter of lying. In other words, it's concerned about truth and lying in our everyday, ordinary conversations and interactions. So what would we, how would we describe or define lying? I would suggest to you that lying is something along the lines of a word or act that intentionally deceives a neighbor. And what I mean by intentionally is that you knowingly affirm something or say something, whether it's in words or in print, you affirm something that you really know and believe to be false. So a word or an act that intentionally deceives a neighbor, or, or I could bump that out, is deceptive against a neighbor. With the view to or in order that um, we bring harm to our neighbor or the, the outcome of harming our neighbor. A word or act that intentionally deceives a neighbor in order to harm them. That's lying, and there's no, tr- no place for that in our lives. The Scripture is very straightforward about these things. The, the Scriptures present to us clear lines of demarcation in in reference to lying and truthful speech. Now, I'll bring up an exception to that, maybe, if we got time, before we're done. Uh, But but I'm I'm painting this in the normal pattern of how the Scripture lays this out. We see lies in the Bible, starting in Genesis chapter 3. Now, be careful what I just said about that. I remember uh, one time uh, two, of, two of my older boys went to, uh, when they were in high school, they, they, they had the same teacher, just different hours, but they came home from school and they said, Our, our teacher um, says not everything in the Bible is true. Um, and you say, Well, what school district were they in? They, they went to a Christian high school. And so, like, base plan. So anyway, I, I just, I'm like, well, my first response was to give the adult teacher the benefit of the doubt. And just to, just to assume, this is the way Joe's brain thinks, just assume that my knucklehead sons wasn't paying attention and got it wrong. And so I pressed him on that. I was, are you sure? Oh, Dad, we're sure. Are, are you positive? We're positive. And so... I thought, so then I started getting flustered and upset, and I was, my first thought was, what would Chuck Norris do? <laughs> and I, in my living room, I tried to do a roundhouse, and I pulled a muscle in my thigh, and I, I thought, okay, we've got to think of a different strategy here. This is just not going to work. So I called the principal, and I said, hey, what what do you want me to do with this? And he goes, well, you need to go talk to the teacher. I said, that's fine. I just wanted to make sure you knew where I was going with this. And so I went and talked to the teacher, and I said, hey. I said, and I, I tried to disfuse this thing. I said, hey, you know, I just wanted to stop in and see you. I mean, I said, my boys probably got this wrong, but they said that you said not everything in the Bible is true. And he said, well, of course it isn't. And I'm thinking, okay, where's Chuck Norris now? But, um, I said, well, could you unpack that for me? He said, well, you know, like in the garden, when the serpent said to, uh, uh, to Eve, you, the day you eat this fruit, you, you'll be like God. And he goes, that wasn't true. I said, oh, okay, all right. All right, we're on to something. You know, uh, and so he, he had his point here. And that's So when I say we, 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 we begin to see lies in the Bible, beginning in Genesis chapter 3, uh, and, 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 and yet be careful with that. You only hear half of that, and you come out of here thinking that, that things are not true in the Bible. That, that's, that's not what's in play here. The scripture presents a stark contrast between telling lies and speaking the truth. God treats lying seriously. First of all, He does that by "He never lies." In fact, truth be told, he is, it is impossible for God to lie because lies emanate from one's nature. And he doesn't have the nature. He doesn't have it in him, if you would, to, to lie. In fact, uh, the Bible calls Satan the father of lies. The scriptures tell us that God hates lies but he rejoices in the truth. On top of that, it's not just that he hates lies, uh, 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 but he hates liars. So much for being a universal expression, God uh, hates the sin but loves the person. Uh, it's, It's not the sin that goes to hell. It's liars themselves who perpetrate lies that will face the consequences of their lies. Psalm five verse six tells us, "You destroy those who speak lies." It says, "The Lord abhors the deceitful man." When we turn to Revelation chapter 21, verse eight, in the category of people who will experience their portion, um, uh, it, it, in, the, in the place that uh, burns with fire and sulfur, liars are, are mentioned there. Not just the lies, uh, but the liars themselves. It's the scriptures that tell us, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Our culture and its gatekeepers, are lying to us. And the consequences of their lying agenda is sad and will be tragic. In fact, our culture in its sophisticatedness, Lying becomes justified in their scheme and their system because it advances their agenda. In fact, even the swagger of our culture calls into question if there's even such a critter, a category called truth. It, it, in our culture's eyes, is just a mere whimsical social construct for us to bend and twist in order to achieve its own agenda. There's no longer truth. There is your truth and my truth. So our culture says, as they perpetuate their lies to us. It's got to the point, even over the last few years, it's like, can we even trust the most sacred of institutions? Are they being honest with us? We live in a culture that is, that is perfectly displaying the truthfulness of Romans 1.25. Because of the fallen condition of man We exchange the truth for lies, and then we market it, and then we promote it, and then the gatekeepers stay in charge of it. Scriptures sadly observe that sinners enjoy lying. And even within the church, there's a critter called false teachers, and uh, they are purveyors of lies. Lies can become so embedded into our culture, even our sub-Christian culture, uh, that, that, that that it begins to shape and reshape the very fabric of our culture. We are being lied to today about gender and sexuality. And the consequences of that is it's going to destroy people. And yet the the Scriptures, in making its clear line of demarcation, the Gospel is called the Word of Truth. The Scriptures is called the Word of Truth. The church is described as the pillar and foundation of the truth. Mm -hmm. Let our culture lie, if it's so inclined to, but let us know the difference. And let us be truthful people to ourselves, to guard our hearts and minds with discernment, And let us speak the truth. Believers are those who are to be committed to speaking the truth. In Psalm 24, when it talks about who is it that's able to stand before the Lord, some of the descriptions that he gives there, it says he does not lift up his soul to what is false. He does not swear deceitfully. It's a core component of the reality of the new birth through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that we who are rescued by the truth will be truthers. We will live and speak in accordance with the truth. Colossians 3, 9 through 10 tells us, Do not lie to one another. There's no ambiguity in that statement. Do not lie to one another. And then it explains that, seeing how you have put off the old self and have put on the new self. In other words, we've been made new. Lying is a part of the old self that when we came to Jesus, it got stripped off. And now we continue to strip off the remaining vestiges that lurk around in our hearts and souls. And when we find them, as the truth exposes our hearts, we rip them out and kill them. I'm reminded of Pilgrim's Progress, which if you've not read that, book yet i just encourage you see me and i'll recommend a readable version for you that's still faithful to the original story but and then after you finish reading pilgrim's progress then uh, put it back on the shelf, and about a week later, pick it up and read it again. So, just re- just maybe once or twice a year would be sufficient. But 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 anyway, as 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 Pilgrim and Faithful are making their way into the town of of Vanity Fair, uh, there's all sorts of things for them to acquire and to buy, and, and yet there's nothing there's nothing that Pilgrim and Faithful see that's being sold that is of interest to them, and so the purveyors of the goods say that, well, what is it that you want? And he says, we buy truth. May that be us. We're not going to be enticed by the, the goofiness of social media and all the purveyors of falseness that's being portrayed in that. We have the word. It's the word of truth. We have the gospel. It's the gospel of truth. And may our hearts be satisfied with soaking that stuff in. May we be people who buy truth and not lie. Well, how do we practice the ninth word? I've already touched on it, but let me zone in a bit further there. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, it says, Therefore, having put off every falsehood, in other words, that's, that is just an indicative statement of what a Christian is. Even a couple of verses earlier in, in Ephesians 4, he talks about walking in the truth and living the truth. And he says, because, and he says that because, because we have learned the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. When we come to the one who is the essence of truth, then we set aside falsehood. And we become practitioners, purveyors, promoters of the truth. Therefore, having put away every falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So in Ephesians four, it it really helps us to grasp that there's not a temporary timestamp on do not bear false witness against your neighbor in the Old Covenant. It's a, it's a part of God's enduring, true, moral law. We who name the name of Jesus, we want to be known as truthful people. People love the truth. We... We are are to be the people who are committed to being this, to becoming this. We are the, the people who want to be, who find our happiness, if you would, in being this kind of person, a truthful person, a person of truth. We ought to be the kind of people who find being a truthful person and being a person of the truth as precious. It's not that I'm looking for a death wish. But we ought to be the people who are willing to die for the truth. And we're willing to die for the truth because, in fact, it is the truth that grants us life. And so it does concern the lies that we hear, and particularly the lies that our children are being fed. Because we should be people of the truth and we should be truthful people. But beyond the broader concerns, and just within the broader concerns of the ninth word, we should be people who keep our word. Don't say you're gonna do something and then not do it that's called being not a truthful person oh it's just it's a flabbergasting how we have got to go back and rebuild such basic social constructs in, in our society today if you say you're going to do something if you say you're going to pay for that then pay for that if you say you're going to accomplish that then accomplish that and if you say you're going to bring the tables back then bring the tables back <laughs> someone stopped me after church said We're, Were you preaching or did someone just really take tables from the church here? Isn't that interesting? Were you preaching or did someone really take tables from the church here? I mean, like, ah! (laughs) Uh, Let our yes be yes and our no be no. Are we noted as being reliable people? Are we noted as being deceptive, less than honest people? Are we noted as people who hold confidences? See, because what I suggest is that part of, the, part of the, the positive import of the ninth word is, again, we, we want to respect people's honor and reputation. And so a part of the impetus of behind the ninth word is that we could be a people who could keep confidence because we would refrain from either gossip or slander because because we we want to live out the true intent of the ninth word. We want to guard people's honor and reputation. We should be the people in Ephesians 4.15 who speak the truth in love, that we strive to say true things. And and yet, and and yet, as sure as I've said everything I've said thus far, we are the people who strive to say true things. But that does not mean that we have no interest or concern in the how and the when and the where and the why we say what we do. We want our words to be true, but we want want motives to be true and our method to be true and our manner to be true and our occasion to be true and our timing to be true. We have no interest in merely bludgeoning somebody with the truth. Ephesians 4, 29 tells us, uh, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building up as fits the occasion. So there's some things that may be good to say, but, but we don't know how saying that good thing would build somebody up. Or we, it, it would build somebody up, but it wouldn't fit the occasion at this moment to build somebody up. Or, and then it says that it may give grace to those who hear it. I get that truth-telling isn't always nice but truth-telling has to be controlled by the agenda of imparting grace. We need not be cowards, but we need not ironically buy into our culture's notions of truth-telling by merely advocating that telling the truth is a means of personal therapeutic self-assertion. In other words, the purpose behind telling the truth is not therapeutic. It's, It's not so that you can get something off your chest. The purpose of telling the truth is to build somebody else up as to what fits the occasion for what they need at this moment that it might impart grace to them. Always tell the truth. Have the courage to do that. But that does not mean that it has to be right here, right now, in a way that I feel is going to be best for me. Sometimes silence. Sometimes patience. Sometimes prayerfulness are a part of the means and methods by which we are truthful people. Now, and even, even admitting that there are times when telling the truth will create conflict, if it does create conflict, or when it does create conflict, we have to guard our own hearts to resist the temptation to go in self-defense mode. For when our truthful words does need to create conflict and conflict arises from our truthful words, then we don't dig in and batten down the hatches. We realize that our ultimate calling is to be peacemakers. Even the prophet Jeremiah When the Lord commissions him to speak words, it's so interesting. The the first four descriptors, some of us get like giddy and and faint-headed when we hear these because we think we now have a purpose to live. But the prophet Jeremiah called Jeremiah and told him that his words would pluck up, break down, destroy, and overthrow. We're like, yes, a reason to live. All shut up. Because those were just a means to an end. The Lord gives Jeremiah two more descriptives after he was to pluck up and to break down and to destroy and overflow. Then he was to build and to plant. Make sure our commitment to truthful words also had the agenda, the ultimate outcome of words that build up and plant. Now, let me say a couple of things about Uh, about um, uh, lying. Is it ever uh, accepted, acceptable or commendable to lie? And um, the struggle here is that we have a host of examples in the Old Testament scriptures where people were not being completely truthful. And nonetheless, they were commended. You think of the Hebrew midwives in the first chapter of Exodus. You think of Rahab in Jer- Jericho, uh, Jer- no, J- Joshua chapter 2, it, concerning the town of Jericho, but uh, Rahab in, in uh, at the town of Jericho in Joshua chapter 2. We think of several incidents in David's life as he's being tracked down and hunted by, by Saul. There was, there was something of subterfuge going on there. You, you think of uh, uh, one occasion is just a, of David's wife, one of David's wives, uh, Micah, in, in uh, 1 Samuel 19. You, you think of uh, David's servant, Hushy, uh, when Absalom, David's son, is trying to uh, throw off a coup So, you you have examples of people who were not being truthful, who were misrepresenting and lying, if you would, and nevertheless, the the gist is that there's some commendability going on here. Let me make three observations about this. First of all, these examples are exceptions and um, uh, not the norm, and they are exceptions in highly unusual circumstances. The particular context in each of those examples that I've given is that we are are not talking neighbor-to-neighbor relationship. We are talking person-to-enemy relationship. Now, you've got to parse that out. Uh, I don't know if I can unpack all of the the complicated twists and turns. Um, All of a sudden, you're thinking, who can I redesignate? enemy instead of neighbor. No, that's not, that's not what I'm trying to encourage here. Um, and, and then the third observation I would make that is, as I can decipher it, in, 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 most, in, in each of the examples that I've given, um, the people, as they were not being truthful, uh, were acting on behalf of the lives and safety of other people. So there was, a, if you would, a tension that was occurring there. Do I lie to protect a life? That's really the struggle that was occurring there. And it seems to be that there's a level of commendation that doesn't necessarily make lying right. It just means that there's sometimes twists and complications and complexities to the difficulties of life. And when life is at stake, the Old Testament commends not being truthful for the protection of that life. And then the final thing I want to say before we're done, we have to say this, and that is we are a people who gather here this morning and we are a people who are rescued by the truth. In other words, I don't want any ambiguity. I'm not saying that merely refraining from lies Merely having a willingness to be truthful and tell the truth is what makes us in right relationship with a holy God. No, we are saved by the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who, I find it ironic, whose death on the cross Uh, from a human perspective, was a result of a miscarriage of judgment, of justice, rather. In, In Matthew chapter 26, verses 59 and 60, it's interesting. It says, now the chief priests, after they had arrested Jesus, now the chief priests and the whole council, these are the religious people, now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, it says, Uh, though though many false witnesses came forward. And I would suggest to you what it's implied there. While many false witnesses came forward, none of them could get their stories straight. And so none of that would really hold up in a court of law as a true, legitimate, bona fide, validated testimony. No, the, the very trial and the very execution of Jesus was based upon a suppression of evidence The encouragement of false testimony and a rejection of truth. And yet in spite of that, the one true God allowed himself to be killed by liars. This is the way that Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 2. He committed no sin, speaking of Jesus, He committed no sin. And then it adds, and neither was deceit found in his mouth. When when he was reviled, he did not revile in return, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judged justly. He himself, it says, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live righteousness. No, it is through Jesus that our penchant to being a liar is corrected. It is in Jesus that our guilt and the just punishment for being liars is satisfied, and we are pardoned. It is in and now through Jesus, by the indwelling gift of his spirit, that we are a people who would no longer sin, that we would die to sin, that we would die to be a liar, and that we would live to righteousness. We would live for the cause of the truth. Father, thank you for your word. It is true. And we are grateful to have a true word from you. And we're grateful, Father, that this true word speaks of truth not just as a categorical concept, but it speaks a true word because it points to a true person, your Son, Jesus, our only Savior, the world's only Lord. Oh, Father, turn us to Jesus, this morning, for the first time or once again, may our focus be upon the one who is the truth and the way and the life, the one who sets us free, that we might live and walk as people of the truth. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand in